Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. I'm happy to be preaching with you this morning. Um, I like studying like different kinds of denominations and faith groups and things like that. Um, you know, we have 2,000 years of uh, church history of groups that have come and gone, and then we have groups that have come and stayed along the way as well. So all kinds of movements, all kinds of groups. There's a whole like whole world of things to study and, and, and learn about and read about. Um, and I think that uh, certain groups bring to light uh, certain things that others may have missed. And I think there's value in learning about this and understanding this, because none of us, uh, despite what we think, have a complete monopoly on the faith. There are others that, that are out there that have things to teach you. Um, and one group that I find very interesting are the Quakers, or the Religious Society of Friends. Um, they're a group that have been around for several hundred years. And there's different pockets and there's different branches of Quakers. And we're, we're not technically related to them, like in our, in our denomination. Um, but the Church of the Brethren, we do have some kind of shared convictions, some shared beliefs. Um, they are a historic peace church like we are. Uh, they would value simplicity. They would be wary of creeds, etc. So um, they've landed on some similar ideas to us, us, but they took a bit of a different path to get there. Um, one thing that Quakers are also known for is that of valuing silence. They value silence. Um, that's one of those key words that you'd associate them. You know, if you're in Family Feud and they're like uh, Steve Harvey's, like name something you associate with Quakers. Number one answer oatmeal. And maybe the number two answer would be, oh, they like to be silent. They do something with silence. Um, they've been, again, they've been around for several hundred years. Different pockets would embody this in different ways. But the practice of silence is something that's typically valued in, in those circles. Um, there's actually a few Quaker churches here in the Phoenix area. There, uh, um, and um, when, I, when I first got here in 2014, I actually went to a traditional Quaker service uh, where they literally sit in a circle. They're probably in a room about half this size. We were in a circle, and we just sat there in silence. And then every so often, someone would get up to speak something that was on their heart. They would sit down, and then we would be in silence. And it was probably about an hour or so. I'd never experienced anything like, like that before, and it was just very, very interesting. And so if you have um, never been to a service like that or something like that, I would say if, you, if given the opportunity, you should check it out sometime. Um, I am bringing all of this up because we're in this sermon series. We're looking at prayers, the theme of prayer and scripture, things like that. And we're going to look at a passage that involves uh, prayer and silence. And so we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into our text. So please pray with me uh, now. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the truth of your word when it was lived out with Jesus, the word made, made flesh. We're thankful for the truth of that word throughout the ages. We're thankful for the truth of your word for us even here and now today. I pray that I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. We pray that you'd be brought glory and honor and that we'd learn to better be your disciples as a result. Amen. 
All right, so we are in Mark's gospel this morning. Uh, we're in chapter one, and this is pretty early on in Jesus's public ministry. And here's a few things that we've seen thus far in Mark with Jesus. Um, John the Baptist shows up preparing the way for Jesus. Uh, he, Jesus ends up being tested in the wilderness for 40 days. He calls some of his first disciples. He's also started to teach with authority and heal people as well as driving out demons. And so Jesus is kind of starting off strong here. He's starting to gain some traction. Uh, people in the area are starting to <clears throat> know more about this guy. Uh, they know that his teaching is unlike the current religious leaders. He's able to heal people. That's pretty exciting. He's able to exercise demons uh, from folks as well. That's also pretty exciting, pretty unique. Uh, his popularity is growing with the crowds, and they want Jesus to come and heal their various afflictions. Um, in this story, though, Jesus is taking a bit of a break, and the disciples go out looking for him. Um, and we're, we're using the Revised Standard Version, the RSV, which is a bit of an older translation. Um, and we're using that one today because I just I love how they translate uh, the underlying Greek here. It's just so poetic. It says that Jesus rose and went out to a lonely place. I just love the way that sounds. It's very poetic. Something about that just speaks to my soul. So I like that translation. Jesus went out to a lonely place. And Peter eventually finds him and says, hey, there you are. We need you to come back because everyone is looking for you. They need you. We need you to heal people. We need you to drive out the demons. And Jesus replies and says, yes, that's why I'm here. We will uh, go to some other villages so I can preach there as well. And so they leave that particular place. They go to other towns in Galilee where he keeps on teaching and preaching and exercising demons. Um, and this is a, a pretty straightforward passage here in Mark. It's very short. It's only five verses, and at first glance, if you're kind of reading through Mark's gospel, you would kind of almost gloss over it. It doesn't really seem that exciting because nothing really seems to happen. Um, but one thing that struck me is, is, as I was reading through the beginning of, of Mark's gospel is that up until this point, um, there's a very strong emphasis on Jesus exercising demons. We're only 39 uh, verses into Mark, a dozen or so paragraphs, and we see Jesus kind of doing this several times. He's uh, survived a, uh, his a temptation from Satan, in the, uh, from Satan in the wilderness. He's gone 40 days without food or water, and Satan's come and tempted him with all these things. He's like, nope, not going to do it. Uh, the very first miracle that, uh, that uh, Jesus does in Mark is casting out an evil spirit from a man. Um, in the previous story, Jesus is healing those with diseases as well as those who are demon-possessed. And, and in this story, again, there's an emphasis that Jesus is the one that exercises uh, demons. And so in the first 39 verses here in Mark, there's this strong emphasis on Jesus as the one who can drive out demons. Um, actually, in their past year during the season of Lent, we were looking at the uh, life of Jesus, different aspects to his, his story. And that was one of the things we talked about one, one day was the fact that Jesus exercises demons both literally and, and, and metaphorically. Um, and so Mark is setting this stage to the aspect of the life of Jesus. And maybe at some, at some point we will look at all of these demon stories. I think that would generate some interesting conversation among us. Um, this past few months during the Sunday school hour, I will often talk about like a passage that we're going to look at uh, down the road. And it just generates all kinds of interesting conversations. So if we spent like six weeks looking at demons, I'm sure one, we'd maybe get sick of talking about it, but two, we'd probably have some interesting conversations. And so maybe at some point we will do that. Um, but we're not in a series on demons today. We're looking at a series on, of prayers in the Bible. Um, and in case you didn't figure this out yet, we're here because of verse 35. And in the morning, a great while before the day, he rose and went out to a lonely place 
and there he prayed. Uh, again, that's not that exciting, especially when we compare this story to the most of the life of Jesus. We read about his healings, his, his, his teachings, his difficult, uh, his difficult like, passages where he uh, has, goes toe-to-toe with the religious leaders. He has all kinds of difficult things for us to hear and say. And so this is one of those things that if we were just uh, reading it, it's very easy to skip over this part not really pay that much attention to it. Um, But this is actually incredibly important for us because this is a pattern right here, what's going on. This is a pattern that we see in the life of Jesus. That is to say that when we read the Gospels and that when we learn about the life of Jesus, we see him as a man who is routinely and time and time again taking time to be by himself, to pray, uh, to have moments of silence, to step away from things, to get away from the crowds, the disciples, things like that. This is a pattern that we encounter again and again and again in the Gospel stories. Um, we see Jesus, again, even being away by himself before this. Again, the start of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's like, I'm going to go out in the wilderness for 40 days. Like, that is a long time to be away, to be by yourself, to be silent, to pray, like that kind of stuff. That's at the very beginning of, of the story of Jesus. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all frame their Gospels uh, with, with Jesus starting this way. Um, but if we actually keep reading on into the next story in Mark, Jesus' popularity grows so much that he can't even enter a town casually. Uh, his, his ministry starts off pretty strong. He's quite the phenomenon. Uh, the crowds always seem to know what's going on. They seem to know what town he's about to enter. And actually, just a few verses later, Mark again describes Jesus staying in lonely places. The RSV continues to use that lo- uh, lonely places phrasing. Uh, but the crowds keep on coming. His solace, his solitude uh, continues to be uh, interrupted. Um, as the crowds start following Jesus, he also gains numerous disciples. Uh, we're told actually in Luke uh, chapter 6, when he chooses the 12 main disciples, again, he has other disciples besides the main 12, but there's a story where he picks 12. Uh, the, 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 the night before that he, he does this, he actually spends the night alone on the mountainside. Uh, He's praying by himself, spending some time in solace and solitude uh, before he makes this big decision. In Matthew 14, when Jesus hears how his cousin, John the Baptist, has died, he goes off to a solitary place uh, and to be by himself. He needs some time to grieve. He needs some time to process, to think, to pray before he can be in community again. And yet the crowds find him. He's filled with compassion, and he, he ends up healing more of them who are sick. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He makes his disciples get on a boat to travel to the next town. When when they do this, Jesus goes by himself to a mountainside to pray, to be in silence, to be in solitude, to be by himself. Uh, He later meets up with them uh, by walking on the water, and this terrifies them. In Luke 22, Jesus is about to be arrested after the Last Supper. He's on the Mount of Olives. What does he do? He tells his disciples to go and pray by themselves. What do you think he does? Audience participation time. Are you paying attention to what I'm saying? Jesus tells his disciples to go away. What do you think he does? He prays. He goes by himself and he prays. Thank you. You are following along with me. Yes, he goes by himself to pray, to experience solitude, to be, experience silence, things like that. There's all, and so we have all these little details and glimpses into the life of Jesus throughout the different gospels, throughout the different stories of Christ. We have to remember the Gospels. These things are pretty short. We don't have a lot of details here. The uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they don't, they're not including all these like extra, extra details uh, for us that are unnecessary. Uh, the Gospels are not like reading a Stephen King book. I don't know if you ever read this. I love Stephen King. If you ever read one of those things, 
you just know like how bogged down in detail Stephen King will get. It'll just be paragraph and paragraph and, and um, uh, chapter after chapter of, of uh, character development. You get to the point where like Stephen King, you can just like cut some of these words out. You're almost like giving us too much information here. It almost becomes distracting to the stories, but that's not how the gospels are. Like just about every word and phrase is there and is very important for us uh, to, to pay attention to. I think these things are there for a reason. It shows that like, Jesus valued and, and took time to pray and, and be in silence and things like that. Again, they, like at first glance, you just kind of gloss over it, but when we step back and look at the big picture to the life of Jesus, hope we can, hopefully we can see that there's a pattern uh, that is emerging. And that is that Jesus very much spends time with the disciples. Jesus very much, uh, very much spends time with different people, teaching, preaching, being in houses, all kinds of things like that. He certainly is with people and does all of that, but he also spends a lot of time, a lot of time by himself. He also spends time in solitude. He also uses that time to draw closer to God. And so we see this all through the life of Jesus, but we see this in others as well. Um, we see this happening throughout the Bible. It's always nice to start with Jesus, though, and kind of see, like, oh, other people do this as well. And so, for instance, we, John the Baptist, when we first encounter him, like Jesus, he is out in the wilderness. He is calling the Israelites to repentance. People are journeying out to him in that solitary, that lonely place to be baptized, um, and they're turning to God in that endeavor when they go out in the desert. Um, in Acts chapter 9, we read about Paul and his conversion. At this point in the story, Paul is a very uh, zealous Jewish leader. He's in the habit of killing other Christians. His name at this point is technically Saul. Not exactly a popular person with, with the Christians at this point, because usually when you're killing people, eh, people don't really like you for that. Um, yet he encounters the risen Christ in Acts 9. And as part of that conversion experience, as part of him figuring things out, he spends a few days by himself in solitude uh, in Damascus. Uh, if you study the early church, like the first few hundred years of Christianity, um, you'll see that there's a strong emphasis placed on solitude and silence and just getting away. A lot of folks would uh, flee to the desert to try to uh, find God. Uh, that's a tradition that is still around today. It still continues today. Like we mentioned in the introduction, like Quakers, they're a group that has kept that ideal alive, like making space for silence, making space for solitude, making space for just like, being still. Um, the Quakers are certainly not the only ones that, that, that do that. Uh, monasteries are very much still a thing where monks will go and live, and some of them will take vows of silence and just live there. You know, there's are places you can spend a day at, spend some time at, and mo many monasteries are open to the public. Um, at, when I was in seminary, actually, I had to spend a day at a monastery for a class assignment with some others, and we were supposed to go and show up and just not talk for, for the day. And it was, again, a very interesting experience, very difficult to do uh, because we're just talking all the time and we're just noise and all that stuff is, is, is around us. And so just spending a few hours not talking, just kind of being quiet, like, oof, bit of a challenge. And I think I had to fill something out saying how much I talked that day. And I think I was pretty good. I think I was pretty honest and did a little bit of talking, but tried to be, tried to be, uh, tried to be quiet. So the, so the Bible uh, and church tradition has a lot of things to say about the importance of silence and solitude and just making space for that. And we see this, the example of Jesus and John the Baptist and Paul, and that leads us to like, well, they're doing this, but like, then why? 
You know, why was Jesus in the habit of going by himself? Why did John the Baptist invite people into the wilderness? Why did uh, Paul spend time by himself in his conversion experience? Why did the early church build monasteries? Why do Quakers value silence? Like, um, and I think that the answer is, is pretty simple and pretty straightforward. Again, we can come at it from different angles, but I think all of them understood the importance of silence. They understood the importance of finding time to be alone with God. They understood in the words of Solomon, there is a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. They understood that there is all this noise in our lives. There are all these distractions, all these things calling for our attention. And a lot of times this chatter can sometimes make it harder to focus on God and just spiritual things and that. And certainly, yes, God is all-powerful. God is everywhere. And so it's not that we can't experience or see God in the midst of the normal, everyday craziness. That's certainly not the case. However, there's something very powerful, very potent about removing ourselves from daily distractions. There's something important about setting, something about setting aside like space uh, to focus our minds and our hearts on God. There's something about capturing the words of God in Psalm 46 to be still and know that I am God. There's something about embodying the fourth commandment to, that allows ourselves some Sabbath rest and to experience God in that, to experience God through the, through the Sabbath of silence and quietness and solitude and reflection. And again, yes, we certainly experience God in a variety of ways. We experience that in community. We experience that together here this morning. We experience that in our shared worship. We experience that through our prayers together, through our preaching, uh, through our songs, like through just living in each other's lives. Very much, I think, that we experience uh, God in that. Um, but I think that one of the ways that we sometimes miss that in our modern experiences, in our modern contexts, is making time to, to just be still, making time to be silent, uh, just setting aside time for that. That's, I think as, as modern-day people, that's one of those pieces that we can just miss or skip over or ignore or just kind of push to the side. I mean, this is 2022. This is America. Like, we are busy. To be crazy busy, like, that's the rallying cry, I think, of most of our lives. How many, how many of us would describe our lives as, like, just crazy busy. Like most of us probably on some level would, would say that's true about our existence. You know, we're on the go all the time. We have various distractions. It's, it's something that we almost pride ourselves in as modern day Americans, just to be crazy busy between work and school and family obligations, along of all this, along of all this stuff that's just like clamoring for our attention. We're just busy and distracted people. And I was like kind of working on the sermon. And I was just thinking about like, oh man, like even now at my house, I got a kitchen sink that's like leaky. We got to fix that. We have a, a toilet that's like not, like I got to get a new like fill valve for that. Our washing machine, like I got to call the guy. It's like not working right. Like all these things are clamoring for our attention like all the time. And as I was preparing the sermon, I just, I read a lot. And so I was reading all kinds of articles about the importance of silence and solitude. Again, it's typically something I try to read a lot. And I was just, you know, finding all this stuff from really smart people, really wise people, um, and then I realized something, like, as I'm just kind of learning about silence, learning about solitude, learning about, like, not speaking, like, I could probably get up here for a long time and talk about the value of this and, like, why we should do this and how it's important. And I realized that the, the, the more words that I offer up about silence, that, ironically, my message becomes more and more self-defeating. And so rather than try to, like, wow you with all this stuff about why you should be silent, 
let's just try to keep it kind of short and to the point and keep things very simple and brief and not be self-defeating. And so we've been looking at various prayers in the Bible, and we've highlighted some that are worth praying, maybe some prayers that are not worth praying. And while there isn't a recorded prayer here, I think there's something incredibly value in finding uh, space for moments of silence and reflection. And so I would encourage you that if you're not already in the habit of doing this on some level, uh, to make some time for silence and solitude and reflection this week. Work in some sort of intentional silence or something like that in the coming days. Doesn't have to be today, doesn't have to be tomorrow, but just my encouragement for you is to take this message to heart and find something in that realm in the coming days in your life. Again, it doesn't have to be crazy. It could be something as simple as just maybe turning off the music or turning off the podcast while you're driving to work one day. Maybe something simple like just turning off the TV set as you're eating dinner one night. Maybe something like getting up 10 minutes earlier than you normally do, going to bed 10 minutes later. Uh, again, extrapolate that to whatever you know, fits your u- unique life. Keep it simple, or maybe you're in a place where you can go big. Maybe you're in a place where you, know, you wanna go crazy, go to a monastery for the day. Those are in Phoenix as well. You can find one and you can rent a room for the day. If, if that's something that speaks to your heart, you wanna do that, do it. You have my pastoral blessing to do that, and then just tell me about how it goes. That, that's amazing. Uh, clear the chatter from your life for just a few moments, just in, again, all the craziness, and just focus in on God. Read scripture, pray, sit in silence. Obviously, you can't read the scripture if you're you know, driving your car. You know, be, be smart about it too. But clear your mind just from the busyness of life. Ask God to be open to how you can be more Christ-like in your life. Ask God like, hey, what, how can I be a disciple here and now? What's some junk that I can get rid of and lay at the foot of the cross? How can I better love you and love others today? In the silence, just focus in on that. And with this sort of thing, we don't want to be legalistic. God does not love us any more or any, any less if we're doing this every single day with our lives or if we've never done this. It's not a legalistic kind of a thing. We're all in different places in our lives, and some of us may have more of a rhythm that makes this easier or more difficult. Three and a half years ago, when I became a dad, I realized, oh, life is a little bit different now. Uh, I can't do things as easily as I could before. So even, like, some of us are in situations where uh, silence and reflection is maybe a little trickier to pull off if you have small children or other things like that at home. Certainly get that. Again, this is not a sermon about legalism. Uh, this is not, legalism is not the lens in which we understand this. Uh, but we understand this as a, as a spiritual practice making time for silence, making time for solitude, something that Christ himself embodied and that the global church has also embodied and valued from the get-go. And there's something very important and meaningful and powerful about making those uh, space for those moments in our lives. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.